thank you, Chris, so much for allowing me to be here and to share about our ministry, to share about God's heart for the fatherless. Uh, I met Chris at one of our Lunch and Learns at Northway um, several months ago back in the fall, <clears throat> and I was very poorly attended Lunch and Learn, uh, just to be honest with you. Great food, but very poorly attended. And, uh, and so Chris was a little bit late. Um, so a common friend of ours um, called him and said, hey, did you forget about the Lunch and Learn uh, this afternoon? He's like, oh, darn. And so it was already like 10 minutes past when we were supposed to start eating, I think. And, and here's what I love about your pastor. 99.9% of, see, I told you, 99.9% of pastors in that situation would have said, hey, I'm sorry, um, I'll get you next time. Your pastor showed up, even though he was 15 or 20 minutes late. He showed up, he was there, and I appreciate that, Chris, so much. Uh, Show me his heart for... Uh, for this ministry and for what God's doing. Again, I work for Families for Families. We are a faith-based foster care ministry here in middle Georgia. Uh, we were founded by our executive director, Wayne Noggle, in 2017. Uh, you'll see on the slides behind me, above me, wherever they are, um, our vision, our model, and our strategy. Uh, so our vision is simply that every child would be in a loving home connected to a local church. Our model is to connect with local pastors and churches to bring awareness to the foster care issues in Georgia. And then our strategy is to recruit, train, and support godly homes that will love and nurture children while partnering with a local church. Since 2017, we've had the privilege of placing almost, we're almost at 1,000 children in Christ-centered homes We have facilitated 132 adoptions out of those foster situations. Right now, we have a little over 200 open homes all throughout the state of Georgia, making us uh, the largest not-for-profit, faith-based foster care agency in our state. We praise God for that. Every year, we choose a statement that sort of encapsulates what we want to do, what we want to focus on. Last year, our statement was, um, hurting children need loving homes, so their hearts can heal and they can receive the hope of Jesus. Hurting children need loving homes so their hearts can heal and they can receive the hope of Jesus. And so that's why I'm here this morning, uh, is that by the time we're done, in just a few moments, that you will be aware that there are hurting children throughout our state. And that these hurting children need loving homes and that their hearts need the hope that's only found in Jesus. Take your Bibles, if you would, and turn to that passage in 1 John chapter 3, verses 16 through 18. While you're turning there, I want to read another passage in Exodus. You'll see that on the screen behind me. Exodus 22 and verses 22 and 23. The Bible there says, speaks of God's heart for the fatherless. And so in Exodus 22, verses 22 and 23, You shall not mistreat any widow or fatherless child. If you do mistreat them and they cry out to me, I will surely hear their cry. This is the first instance in the Bible where we hear God's heart for the widow and the fatherless child or the orphan. And you see this repeating theme all throughout Scripture, God's heart for the widow and the fatherless. And oftentimes, more times than not, you see those two categories or groups of people lumped together. 
There's a lot of reasons why they are found together throughout Scripture, but one of the main reasons is simply this. The common bond between a widow and a fatherless child is a lack of a male protector. The lack of a male protector. See, here's what Satan knows. That if he can remove the influence of a husband and a father from a family, then he has free reign on that family. And you see this all throughout our society. The removing of husbands, the removing of fathers, even to the point now we're trying to turn men into women. It's a satanic, a satanic strategy to influence and to capture the homes and families throughout our nation. So, so God promises that when the orphan and the widow cry out to him, that he will hear their cry. He will answer their cry. The question is, how does he answer their cry? How does he hear them? How does he respond to their need? The interesting thing about this passage is that God gives it to his people, Israel and Exodus, us now in the New Testament, the church, and it's interesting that he doesn't give it to defects. He doesn't give this command to the Department of Children and Family Services. If you've ever had the, the opportunity to work with defects, let me tell you this. There are good people who love children who work at defects. But here's what's another reality. They are overworked understaffed and underpaid and the struggles they have with children in foster care is because they are trying to do a job that God did not call them to do let me say that again God didn't call defects to take care of children in foster care God called his people to take care of children in foster care. You and I are the answer. When they cry for help, the way God intends to answer their cry is through his people, the church. We are the answer. Defax is trying to do a job that they're not empowered to do and not called to do. Let's look at 1 John 3, verses 16 through 18. This passage tells us three things very succinctly. Number one, we know love because of Jesus. You and I know love because of Jesus. Do you see that in the text, verse 16? By this we know love, that he laid down his life for us. John says, Here how, here's how you and I know what love is, that Jesus laid down his life for you and me. The world will try to define for you all sorts of ways to, to describe what love is. And we see that all throughout our society, all throughout our, our culture. But until you open up the word of God, until you see Jesus and what he did, you do not know what love is. 
the only way we, we can properly understand what love is is by, by seeing who Jesus is and what Jesus did for us. He sacrificed himself. He laid down his life for our sins. For we know love because, I'll tell you things that drive me crazy. Uh, we, we know love because of who Jesus is and what he did. He loved you to such an extent that he died for your sins. And then he rose back to life so that you could be forgiven and you could be in his family. No longer an orphan, no longer fatherless. Yeah, that'd be great. No longer an orphan, no longer fatherless, but a son and a daughter of God. That's the most important thing I'm going to tell you this morning. Is that you can know love by coming to faith in Jesus. Sins forgiven, new life, welcome to the family of God. But secondly, this text tells us we not only know love because of Jesus, but we show love because of Jesus. Look at verse 16 again. By this we know love that he laid down his life for us, and we ought to lay down our lives for the brothers. When you and I are called into a relationship with Jesus, we are called into a life of helping the widow and the orphan. You may not realize that, but, but when, you, when you answer the call to follow Christ, you answer the call to lay down your life for those in need. Because Jesus laid down his life for you and I when we were in need. He gave his life. He, he, he walked out of the comforts of heaven into our uncomfortable, our hard, our broken world. And he calls you and I to step out of the comforts of our home and walk into the uncomfortableness and brokenness of the world around us. And part of that includes taking care of the widow and the fatherless child. So we know love because of Jesus. We show love because of Jesus. Then thirdly, we can't know his love and not show his love. It's impossible to walk with him and know his love and not show it to the people around us. Look at verse 18, verse 17. But if anyone has the world's goods and sees his brother in need, yet closes his heart against him, how does God's love abide in him? Little children, let us love not in word or talk, but in deed and truth. John says if you see those in need and you have the ability to help them, to serve them, to care for them, and you close your heart, he's asking the rhetorical question that he knows the answer to. And the question is, how in the world can you say that God's love abides in you? If that love's not spilling out to help those who are in need around you, how can we say that we actually know and have experienced the love of God ourselves? So here's what I want to do. I want to share with you the needs of children in foster care all throughout our state. There are right now 11,438 children 
in the foster care system throughout our state. Just before COVID, that number was at 15,000. It dropped to a little bit below 10,000 during COVID. Do you know why? Because the number one reporter to defects are teachers and counselors. So it looked like on paper, hey, we're headed in the right direction. But now that number is ticking back up as we've got back to normal. And right now we have about 11,500 kids in our foster care system throughout our state. 2,314 sibling groups make up about 7,284 of those children. It's very rare that when you place a child, you place just one child. Usually it's a sibling group. And one of the most heartbreaking things about foster care ministry is having to take a sibling group of four, send two of them to Atlanta, and two of them to Savannah because there's no homes where they live to keep them together. 57% of our children in foster care are under the age of eight. Their stories are hard to hear. Give me the stories of two siblings who were found walking on a major highway because mom and dad were high on drugs and kicked them out of the house. Give me the story of a, of a baby left, left behind a, a dumpster because mom couldn't care for her. It can be the story of a sex trafficking bust where children were rescued from ages 17 to 3. And they come into care after being rescued. If you've seen the movie Sound of Freedom, seen that movie? It's not a movie. It's real life. It happens. On the screen behind me, you see some facts about Foster care, Atlanta, you may know, is the number one city in the nation for sex trafficking. But did you know that over 70% of the girls who are trafficked in our state at some point were in foster care? Here's what that means. That you and I have the ability to decrease the number of young girls who are trafficked in our state by 70% just by providing a mom and a dad who care for them. Around 700 children age out of foster care every year. So when you turn 18, you're discharged from the foster care system. You are on your own if you're not adopted, maybe homeless maybe in prison, living on the streets. We'll talk more about that in just a moment. Of those 700 that age out each year, over half of those girls will put their children back into foster care. And the state <clears throat> spends $3 million a month hoteling children. What does that mean? It means more than likely when you see a story on Facebook or the news of some drug bust or uh, meth lab or murder, there's a good chance that some child just went into care. And when they go into care, phone calls begin to be made to foster care families, to homes, 
hey, do you have space for these children? And there's no home for them. They end up spending the next night or next several nights in a hotel with a defects worker. And the state spends $3 million a month hoteling those children who need a home. This year, Families for Families said yes to 226 kids, which we praise God for. But we said no to 2,423. 2,423 kids that we had to turn away because there was no home for them to go to. And the last statistic on that slide, that there are 400 children who go missing every year from defects. You say, well, what does that mean that they go missing? They run away? Or they're trafficked? Of those children, those 700 that age out, so every year or every week, one boy, or one, every day, one boy and one girl age out of foster care. So about 15, 14 to 15 kids a week age out. What do we know about those kids that age out? About 81% of the boys will be in prison for some kind of survival crime. Say, so what's that? It's a crime they're committing not because they're foolish and rebellious and just want to do something stupid. It's a crime they commit because they're hungry. Because they want somewhere to stay that's warm. Of those 700 who age out, 71% of the girls will find themselves pregnant within one year. Why? So if they don't have a home and a family who welcomes them in, they attach themselves to a boyfriend, they end up pregnant, dad drops out of the picture, they can't take care of their baby, and they put that child in foster care. And the cycle starts over and over. Next slide reminds us of something that we as a church prayed for. So we prayed for the ending of abortion, right? Is that where we are? And so now it is illegal in our state to have an abortion after six weeks. So before the Dobbs decision, we averaged about 41,000, let's just say 40,000 abortions every year. So now it's illegal to abort those children after six weeks. So let's, let's conservatively say that about half of those 20,000 end up going across state lines and still in the life of that child. So now we have 20,000. Of those 20,000, let's say that 10,000 have an uncle, an aunt, a grandma, a grandpa who will take care of the child. That leaves us now, after something that we prayed for as a church, as we worked for as a church, that leaves us now somewhere around six, seven, eight, maybe up to 10,000 babies that are going to be born every year in our state. And who's going to take care of them? They're going to go in foster care. And listen, it's not DFAX's job to take care of them. It's our job. It's what God's called you and I to do. So here's what I believe God's done. I believe God has given us what we asked for, we prayed for, what we worked for as a church. And now he's, he's, he's giving us the opportunity to prove to the world 
whether or not we're pro-birth or we're really pro-life. Is it just our concern that they're born and not murdered, or are we concerned that they are born and that we're there for them to help them live and have a successful, prosperous, blessed life? James 1.27, the Bible says religion that is pure and undefiled before God the Father is this, to visit orphans and widows in their affliction and to keep oneself unstained by the world. Why does God say that the care of orphans and widows is pure and undefiled religion? It's because when you and I care for the widow, we care for the orphan, there's nothing in it for us. In the sense that there's nothing they can do. They can't give anything back to us. They can't repay us. They can't. It's, it's just love for people. It's that love that we've been shown by Jesus spilling out from us to care for and comfort those who are in need. James also says in James 4.17, So whoever knows the right thing to do, and fails to do it for him and his sin. So many times we think of sin of, of, of not doing what we know is wrong to do. James says that sin doesn't just include not doing what we know is wrong to do. Sin includes not doing what we know is right to do. So sin is, is, is knowing that God's called us to make disciples of all nations and then saying, that's not my job. That's pastor's job. Sin is, is knowing that I've been called to forgive all those who offend me and I hold on to bitterness. And sin includes knowing that God's called me, called us, called the church to care for the widow, to care for the fatherless child, and not getting in the game to do it. That's sin. Knowing what's right, knowing what God's called you to do, and choosing not to do it. I don't know how God's working in your heart, but I would imagine that for some in this room... God is, is calling you to care for the fatherless. Go back to 1 John 3, verses 17 through 18. If anyone has the world's goods and sees his brother in need, yet closes his heart against him, how does God's love abide in him? I've shown you the need. And John asked the question, if you can see the need, and you have the world's goods, and yet you close your heart, how does God's love abide in us? So, so what I'm asking is that you not close your heart. Don't close your heart. There are 11,438 kids in foster care right now because by and large the church has closed her heart to care for children in need. So for some of you tonight, this morning, 
God's calling you to open your heart by opening your home. What, what goods do you have to help those in need? You have compassion. You have kindness. You have love. You have a home. Everything a child in foster care needs, you have. And for some of you, God's calling you to do that very thing, to begin that journey, to begin that walk, to care for children in need in foster care. But even if God isn't calling you to open your home, God is calling all of us in some way to support and encourage those who God is calling to open their homes and care for children in foster care. So that's the support arm of Families for Families, right? You see the slide behind me, you see our, our encouragement, our support model, our banner team model. We'll talk more about this in the future, but, but basically every foster family in every local church, we want to surround them with what we call a banner team. And on that banner team are those who, whose job it is to encourage, provide for, and support families who are fostering those in need. So the number one reason that over 52% of families who open through DFACs and other agencies do not renew fostering after one year is a lack of support. The lack of encouragement that they need from those around them. So, so we implement this model, this banner team model, so that that foster family has a team of people around them to hold their hands up so that they can do what God's called them to do. So we want someone around that foster family to provide meals. So when that foster family needs a dinner, they can provide a meal. Now, some of you, you can cook great. And whatever you would provide for them be a blessing. For some of you, it would be a curse, okay, because you can't cook, right? Here's how you can know that you can't cook. Over the holidays, if you were asked to bring cups or ice, that was your family's way of telling you, we don't want you to cook, okay? And that's fine if that's you, right? You can, you can provide them... DoorDash gift cards and, and gift cards to other restaurants. That's the way you can provide a meal for them. We want people praying for that foster family, praying for the bio parent because they're part of this, this, this situation, praying for the foster family, the foster kids, and praying ultimately. Remember, our ultimate hope is that they find the hope of Jesus, praying ultimately that they would come to faith in Christ. That's why we require all of our Families for Families families to agree on our statement of faith, to agree on our position on sexual morality, on marriage. We require them to have, as much as they can, that child in church every week so they're hearing the gospel, studying the Bible, seeing God's church at work, and with the hope that they come to put their faith and trust in Jesus Christ. We want people praying for them. We want a handy person in their life. I say handy person because here, I'm not a handy man. I'm not. Jeff Hopkins can tell you that wherever he is right now. I used to be his pastor. I had the privilege of being Jeff's pastor and Donna's pastor. And Jeff can tell you, you don't want to call me to help you with something around your house. You can call my wife. She can help you do anything you need. She's the handy person in our house. We want in that foster family someone that they can call and say, you know what, we need a crib put together, we need a bed put together, we need our grass cut, so it's because they have all these things going on in their life as foster parents. We want that, that family to have a mentor, someone who's 18 years older who can come and just take the foster kids to, 
get a burger, to play basketball, to go fishing, just be an influence in their life? You want them to have a family friend that's a family they would leave their bio kids with for a weekend, that they can leave their foster kids with for the weekend? We want them to have a, a respite family? A respite family is a family that goes through the entire process that the foster family would go through. But they can keep that kid for uh, from three nights to two weeks or so, right? Whenever that foster family just needs a break, going out of town has an emergency. Well, all of that support system around that foster family so they don't throw in the towel. So they renew, so they continue. 95% of our families renew because they have support and encouragement. Other avenues of support you see in the next slide, we do date nights for our foster families. We do moms and dads nights out where they can come be encouraged, get their continuing education credits. We do diaper drives. If you're looking for something you can do right now as a church, we always need diapers. You can go and look at my car right now and the back of it is full of diapers. I'm driving around a 48-year-old man with diapers all in my car, all right? And all my kids are grown and out of diapers. We always need diapers. So those are ways that you can support, be a part of that support system to encourage those in foster care. I began this, this morning telling you about Wayne Noggle, who's our executive director. And I want to share his story with you, and then we'll close. Uh, Wayne was a pastor. He worked in construction. Uh, he and his wife, they uh, founded this ministry in 2017. They began their journey in, in fostering in 2012. They read a book called Radical by David Platt. Anybody read that book? And it changed their life. In that book, David talks about the need in Birmingham at that time of foster care community, foster children, how there were so many churches, and that's the solution. We said earlier there were 11,438 children in foster care. The solution is there are almost 26,000 evangelical churches throughout our state. That math is so simple, isn't it? If just every other church has one family that says, we'll, we'll not close our heart, we'll open our home, the church, not DVACs, the church can wipe out the foster care crisis in our state. And Wayne saw that. Wayne began to get that, that vision. So he and his wife began with defects, and they began to open their home. It was a long, hard process. He says one of the most unorganized, frustrating, inefficient processes he'd ever been in. So after months and months and months, Wayne's on his job at the church. He gets a call from his wife, Kelly. He says, hey, we just got a call from defects. They want to tell us that our home is open. Wayne said, oh, that's great. I don't know what that means, but that's great. I got to go back to work. Five minutes later, his wife calls back. Because DFAX just called back. We have a baby we need a home for. He says, it happened that fast, Philip? It happens that fast. More than likely, the day that you are told that your home is open... It's the day at some point in that day you're going to get a call saying we need to have a baby for you. We have a child for you. Remember, we said yes to over 200. We said no to over 2,000. So Wayne said, what do we know about this, this child? His wife said, well, we know that 
she's a baby, she's a girl, she was left behind a dumpster in Atlanta. Her mom lives on the streets. The baby has five drugs in her system, the most prevalent being cocaine. Wayne said, how long do we have to make a decision? His wife said, we have five minutes. So they went and they got that baby girl from the hospital. She's on the screen behind me. Her name is Abby. She was one of 11,438 kids that no one wanted. Over the next year, they got Abby the help she needed. Took her to Choa, getting her off the drugs. A year goes by, they get another phone call from DFAX. Hey, mom has just put another baby in care, the sister of the one you took a year ago. Can you bring her home? And Wayne was like, well, we still have the one you gave us a year ago. And Wayne thought it best, you know, I think we maybe need to pray about this. And Wayne's wife, Kelly, said, well, you can pray about it. But I'm headed right now to the hospital to pick the baby up. They brought her home. This is Ashley. <laughs> Ashley has some pretty significant health needs. She'll probably never leave home. Somewhere between Abby and Ashley, Wayne said that he knew his life and his ministry had changed. That he'd be leaving his church work to mobilize church care for the fatherless, care for those in foster care. Because the problem of foster care is not defects, it's a lack of faithfulness in 11, 000, or the 26,000 churches throughout our state. Care for those almost 12,000 kids. Abby and Ashley were adopted. It's the next slide by Wayne and his family. April 8, 2014, they became Noggles. Three things happen when a child is adopted in our state. They get a new name, a new birth certificate, and a new social security number. It's almost like the old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. Wayne likes to say that defects didn't invent adoption. Our Heavenly Father did. So they're 10 and 11 now. They're doing well. One Sunday after preaching, a man came up to Wayne and said, Wayne, your oldest adopted daughter looks a lot like a homeless woman we've been helping in Atlanta. Wayne was a little bit skeptical, skeptical and said, hey, just find out her name and let me know. By the providence of God, it was Abby and Ashley's mom. So since then, every year at Christmas, they go and find her wherever she is on the streets in Atlanta. She still is homeless. She's a prostitute. She's still on drugs, has mental issues. They bring Abby and Ashley, and they spend time with her. Bring her clothes, bring her food. She, the mom, was placed in foster care at the age of five. She aged out at 18 without a home to go to, and since then has been surviving, doing whatever she has to do to survive. 
Wayne and his family have tried to take her into her, their home and get her off the life that she lives, but they can't. Here's what Wayne says. He says, you know what? I don't know that we can reach her now. But if someone could have got that little girl at age five, her life would have been changed. Hurting children need loving homes so their hearts can heal and they can receive the hope of Jesus. Remember John, 1 John 3, 16 and 18. By this we know love. He laid down his life for us and we ought to lay down our lives for the brothers. If anyone has the world's goods and sees his brother in need yet closes his heart against him, how does God's love abide in him? Little children, that's not love in word or talk, but in deed and truth. What's next? We'll be back here on February the 4th, right after the service. We're going to have an information session. So for those of you right now that you know God's, God's touching your heart, God's saying, you know what? Not closing your heart, but these kids is opening your home. So at that information session, you're going to be able to come and we're going to be able to answer your questions, walk you through what it looks like to, to open your home through Families for Families. We're not bringing kids with us, so don't worry. Okay, there'll be no kids here, okay? okay? We just want to answer your questions. Some of you just want more information. That's, that, that's for you. Some of you say, you know what? I, I don't know that God's calling me to open my home, but, but God is calling me to support those whom he is calling to open their home. And I want to know more about how to be an encouragement, how to be that support system around them. We're going to cover all those bases as well. And I pray that you wouldn't close your heart. I pray to God in heaven that you come and that you hear and that you be open to what God wants to do in your life to care for kids in need in foster care. One last quote from Wayne and I'll be done. He says, you can't change the whole world, but you can change the whole world for one child. We can't change the whole world, but here's what we can do. We can open our hearts, and for one child, we can change their whole world, their whole life. What greater evangelistic opportunity could there be to bring in children into your home, love them Tell them about Jesus. Bring them to church. Let them see the church operating in action and praying every day that God will change their hearts and they become a part of his family, the family of God. Don't close your hearts. Leave them open so that you can be a part of changing the whole world for one child. Let me pray for us. Father in heaven, I thank you for the opportunity to share about your call on your people to care for the widow, to care for the fatherless. And Jesus, I pray that your spirit has been working this morning. I pray, God, that there's a family out there that, that, that your spirit's moving in their heart to, to join this process, to join this journey. I pray, God, that they let nothing get in the way. Satan would want nothing more than to, to take that burden out of their heart, to distract them. 
God, keep it at the forefront of their heart and their mind. God, whatever it is you're calling each of us to do, to care for and to love those in foster care, those who need a family, God, may we be found faithful to do what you've called us to do. Lord, help us not to close our hearts. We ask this in Jesus' precious name. Amen.